Hello, and welcome back to the Palette Plug Podcast with your hosts, Kyle and Corey. Hey, what's going on, guys? Today, we have Andrew Hartman over at Hartman Independent Company. Good morning. <laughs> uh, he is a third-generation, family-owned, uh, would you say you're you're a nail, nail gun, kind of all-around product supplier? I know you guys got a big list of stuff, so... What, what do you yeah. think the key things would be with the uh, the pallet industry that you guys yeah, we offer? Are a f- yeah, fascinating solutions provider to that space. Yeah. Excellent. I love that. That's a really good <laughs> way to say that. Um, yeah, so today we have him on. We're here to ask some questions about you know how Hartman got started, the story behind it, products that you guys offer, how it's relevant to the pallet industry, uh, and maybe some cool stories about some of the people that you've worked with within the industry as well. So uh, from there, Andrew, would you mind giving us a, a brief introduction of yourself and, and your business? Sure. I mean, Hartman Independent has been around 75 years this year, which is a just an unbelievable honor to be part of a company, to lead a company that that, that is that old. Um, as you said, third generation. So we've got my grandfather founding the business in 1948, uh, my dad coming into the business in 1970 and being in it until he passed away in 2021. And then... I've been in it since I was 14 years old. So that was 1994 and I've been done nothing but that. So um, to be 42 years old and to say I've done something for 28 years is kind of a crazy statement. <laughs> but <laughs> but at the same time, <clears throat> we take what we do here really seriously. So, um, you know, we, we've always been in the nail and staple world, whether that it was helping in the residential construction space, which is where my grandfather started. Okay. Uh, he quickly branched into that pallet world. Um, or, you know, like we are today, we touch commercial and residential construction we touch the pallet world and the crating world and, and a whole lot more than that. So, uh, in a, in a nutshell and to not get into too far into the weeds early on, uh, that's kind of who we are and what we do. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So you guys started out in construction and then what your grandfather was the one that also then branched into pallets or was that your, your father? No, no, no. That was my grandfather. So if you think okay. about like the u.s economy from a historical standpoint you have 1948 you're post-world war ii you have you know hundreds of thousands of men who served in the armed forces coming back they've got government money government support to to re-establish their connections with society with their families and so there's just this building boom in the late 40s and the 50s and the current technology just couldn't keep up with it so um that's where the whole nail gun that we all take for granted comes from. It came out of that hmm. necessity of that time period. And uh, so my grandfather was doing work out in California. He had gone out there because of the Great Depression. He'd ridden trains through the, the 30s, developed relationships. He got into the uh, into the Army Air Corps during World War II and then ended up being in California. Got hooked up with one of the early nail gun companies that hmm. eventually became Bostitch, but it was a much different name back oh, wow. then. And then remembered he was from Pittsburgh. And so he came home. He came home uh, in, in 48. That was when my dad was actually born. Um, he was born here in Pittsburgh. The business was founded here then. And um, the construction was an easy one because he had seen that being in California and all those guys coming back from the war. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, in Pittsburgh, in this region, the Eastern Ohio, West Virginia, Western Pennsylvania region, heavy industry. So tons of palleting, palletizing and crating going on. And that, that technology was just a very quick 
uh, crossover into that space. So when I say we started in construction, um, you know, I, I never got an actual time frame on that, but we're talking probably within the first couple of years we were we were doing both. Okay, gotcha. So it was fairly quick that he noticed a need yeah, for for, sure. for both for of sure. them. And so was it one of those like he just kind of knew of the company's existence and started to try and become uh, a supplier for them or, or I guess um, what's the word for it? A vendor, I, I guess, right? Yeah. He could yeah, sell there. Um, yeah, both work. So, so how did he go about, well, I guess that's probably maybe a little hard to answer, but do you know like how he went about kind of building his relationships and what he yeah. looked for when he was trying to do that? Yeah, so the, the world in the pallet from the pallet standpoint looked a little bit different, at least in this geography. I can't speak across the whole country, but in those days, most manufacturers had their own little dedicated pallet shop um, gotcha. at the back of the plant. So what's kind of cool is there's still remnants of that. You can go to some of the steel plants and some of the other manufacturing facilities around here. And when you pull into their pull into their um, shipping yards, if they haven't done major modern renovations, you'll see these little huts or these little, they almost look hmm. like a house out by the entrance. And those would be where they would build pallets. So they would bring wow. lumber in there and they'd have a crew of guys that were doing nothing but building pallets for their for their product. That's so cool. when you're talking about early, it was like each company had their own thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know exactly when, you know, the the consolidation to specific pallet shops happened, mm -hmm. but it just became a progression. You know, you said, hey, where'd those guys go? Oh, you know, they got hired by Joe down the street. He's doing nothing but building pallets for everybody. Um, so we went from calling cool. on the actual industrial manufacturer uh, and then just followed the, followed the lumber. Gotcha. Okay. I see. So as things changed, you guys had to adapt to that too. Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting that it was originally like you were calling a business to supply, to sell them like the nails and the nail guns because they had their own pallet mm. shop in the back of their facility. So that's, that's cool to hear how things have changed. I've never heard that before. Like I know some companies will have guys inside or like a pallet business will station somebody within a warehouse yep. to help build like custom pallets or something like that. But I hadn't heard the um, guys that had their own facility just like hang out in the back of the business. So that's, that's pretty cool. And then from, from there, like how has it changed over the years and how have you guys continued to grow it? Is there like different avenues that you've seeked out from there or is it really just kind of hammering down what you already know and trying to perfect it, even though, you know, perfection is, is very hard to attain. It's a process. Perfection yeah. is a process. Um, you know, it's super easy to talk from 75 years down the road and say, oh, this is how it went. I, I don't yeah. know what the, I don't know what the blocking and tackling along the way was. But, right. um, you know, there was a point in time when you would you would sell uh, the tooling, the, the system, if you will, to the pallet shop. And then you would also sell the consumables, the nails, the staples, whatever was needed. And there came a shift as like the cost of tooling and the technology in the tooling space and when I'm saying tooling, I, I mean the pneumatic nailing and stapling and um, some of the larger uh, machines beyond that. As that kind of came down, the model started to shift. And so uh, I'm sure you're very aware of the the kind of the current model where a distribution partner like ours, like us, we would we loan the tools to the pallet shop. They are not um, purchasing those up front. The, the distribu mm -hmm. distributor maintains ownership, maintains the uh, the maintenance of those tools. 
and in exchange, there's there's a an understanding that the pallet shop will use our fasteners, will purchase our fasteners, and it, so it becomes a a blended um, profit center for us as well as a service to them. Um, and that you know what, as I understand it, that really started taking hold in the '70s and '80s, and it's just continued to take hmm. hold as the cost of tools has come down. I'll say one of the challenges in the system right now is that you know tools are starting to be viewed almost like throwaways. You know, mm -hmm. in the old yeah. days, there was enough value in the tool. There was enough, um, you know, value to, to both parties that you wanted to keep that tool running. Mm -hmm. And as tools have gotten cheaper and cheaper, meaning just dollar value, um, it becomes, it becomes just a very different kind of calculus to, to look at all that. But, uh, you know, that's not, that's just a challenge. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just where we are. So, We've just continued to pursue that. Obviously, that leads to us having to become more efficient at repair, mm -hmm. uh, more efficient at delivery of the consumable. Um, just like any business, that's where if we can keep our costs and push our costs down, it allows us to be more to be uh, more profitable, which allows us to then bring more services and then values uh, value to the to the customer. Yeah, and it, it's funny that you say that too because I was actually I was just talking with my friend the other day. He's a plumber. Uh, and he was telling me how, like, I, I think it was the supply house that they purchased their products from kind of pushed this one product onto them. And like my friend said that within like a year it died on him, but then he used, I want to say like Milwaukee and it's lasted him for multiple, multiple years. And I guess it's just kind of like, you have to find your customer. There's the customer who's going to want the cheaper product and wants to continue to buy them, you know, a shorter period of time. And then there's the other person who buys the higher quality because he knows it's going to last. And then if there's something like yourself, like a repair process uh, in place, then it obviously can help push the longevity of that. So like, I guess I'm curious, like, do you, do you have to work with the supplier of the nail gun in order to do all that repair? Or is that something like you guys source the parts yourself and, and all of that, like how do you, how does that process work? Uh, good question. It, it is, it's a combination of all of the above. So um, you have to have good relationships with your vendors. And so one of the things that we talk about a lot in our company is treating our vendors like our best customers. Mm -hmm. If we've got that manufacturer of that tooling or of that nail or of that staple or you know whatever product you want to put in there, if we've got that good relationship. Then when we have problems or we have opportunities, we they bring all the resources to bear that we need. But you know the ingenuity of the American mind and the American economy is that there are companies out there that have just found their niche by providing alternative sourcing. So I can get O-rings from you know fifty different companies for the same tool. So we do a little bit of both. You know where where we need to be extremely economic, we can kind of buy outside of that, but. I would say, you know, it's the old 80-20 rule. 80% 80 of it, we buy from the manufacturer. We work with the manufacturer. And then when we get in weird supply chain challenges, which <laughs> which have been, you know, our norm for the last number of years. Yeah, I was going to um, say. <laughs> we go find alternative sourcing. So, Gotcha. I, I So I want to use this opportunity to kind of go through the products that you yeah. offer specifically yeah. for the pallet industry. So would you mind kind of going through a list of, of the items, products, and fasteners that you guys offer for pallet business owners? For sure. I mean, what I love about our world is that it's, um, it's simple and complicated at the same time. 
you know, yeah. we're, we're providing nails and staples and pneumatic tooling um, at the very core of what we do. And mm-hmm. when you say it like that, it's like, okay, that's just, okay, that's simple. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but when you get into the fact that there's different diameters and there's different shanks, you can get ring shank and screw shank and smooth shank and there's different points. You can go blunt diamond and blunt chisel and no point. You want to, you want a different head size. You want the thread to run all the way up to the head. I don't want the thread to run all the way up to the head. Um, there's a lot of different nuances in the actual product and it all, it all matters. Are you shooting in the softwood? Are you shooting in the hardwood? Do you have um, climate control so that your lumber is all consistent or are you working inside outside? So you've got frozen lumber or you've got incredibly hmm. humid lumber. Um, you know, you have all of those nuances that then take something that's just nail staples, pneumatic tooling, and yeah. then suddenly you've got this really complicated science in order to get a, 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 an end result for the customer uh, and then their customer that, that is satisfactory. So, um, you know, at the core, that's what we have. But we, we have learned that there's a ton to bring to that, to that pallet customer as well. We have a full um, packaging solution. So strapping and stretch film and um, corrugated solutions. If there, if there are, you know, pallets aren't just nails and staples. Mm-hmm. Some people like to put a lip on it if they're selling it into a retail application or pre-install a corrugated slip sheet or, uh, you know, there's just so many little nuances. And we, we try to bring all that uh, to, to one to one source. Um, you know, we were talking before we started we started uh, the podcast about blades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a blade alternative, but we're not a blade specialist. So we have certain SKUs where we can be a fill-in. Hey, my my primary guy's out. Can you help me? Um, gotcha. So, I mean, I could go on from there. We've started into uh, what we call our adjacent verticals, but that's just fancy speak for like what else helps a pallet company or really yeah. any company <laughs> run. We want to mm-hmm. be that 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 partner that says. Oh, what is a need of your business? So like recently we've gotten into janitorial. If you're a pallet shop, you know, you still need toilet paper and you need yeah. paper towels and a lot of places have a break room. So we have those products and what else can we bring to our core customer? That's going to, you know, make their life better. That's, that's how we view things. That's, that's great. And it's, it's funny. Cause I was looking through the, the things that you offer here and I saw like kitchen supplies, paper towels, toilet tissue, stuff like that. So it's very much like you guys just continue to think about how you can continue to serve your customers. And with that, it's like our majority of your, and obviously you don't have to answer this, but like, is it your main focus like pallets or are you guys like, you know, pallets are great and we know that industry, but is there other focuses that you guys have or is there other businesses that you feel like you can benefit from working with? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I'll answer it from like the, the C-suite kind of mindset, you know, yeah. um, as a distribution partner to our customers, we help our customers achieve better results for their business by navigating the, the crazy waters of the supply chain and the sourcing world and the specs of this, that, and then the other thing, you know, we bring better outcomes because we're the ones that can handle that. Mm. Um, and because of that, like, yes, pallets are probably 50% of our business. Okay. Um, so yes, to answer your question, we are, <laughs> we are invested in 
in the industry. I was just recently at the um, NWPCA meetings down in mm -hmm. Dallas. And to be there, on one hand, I felt like a total outsider because I don't build pallets. Right. But on the other hand, what we do is a part of every one of those pallet businesses. And so I Absolutely. felt after you know having some good conversations, my, my mindset changed and uh, I was able to talk from a, a standpoint of a little more confidence. Like if nice. we're not there providing the nails and staples and then supporting the tools and fixing them and, and being that, that partner, it, it, it becomes a lot harder. Um, but, uh, but from a business standpoint, we still do a lot in that construction space. We're probably 30% uh, in that construction space where that's residential and commercial and light industrial. And so, you know, we get into the big power tool companies. You mentioned Milwaukee earlier. We mm -hmm. we have big four, Milwaukee and DeWalt and Bosch and Makita. Nice. Uh, not only are we a source for purchase, but we also fix those. So we continue to, to learn from the pallet industry in that if you're going to offer a tool line, you need to have the competency and willingness to fix it. And so right. repair continues to be something we, we stress. Um, you know, it's funny. So many of the little repair shops that used to be in every little town. Um, there'd be several in big cities. They seem mm -hmm. to be going away. And mm -hmm. yeah. um, as a result, we continue to invest in making ourselves somebody that any any business can call and say, hey, I've got this thing down. This isn't working. Do you fix this? And I, hmm. I coach our team always to just say, yeah, we can, we can fix it. <laughs> right. um, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. So uh, there's that. But then, you know, we get into... We go to just straight line manufacturing. I mentioned uh, packaging products. There mm -hmm. are people out there that don't use nails and staples <laughs> and uh, they just need some sort of a packaging product, either whether that's load retention. So they've got finished goods and they're putting them on a pallet and shipping it. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about stretch film and strapping. You have a box line. So now you're talking about taping. Um, you might have you know, fragile products on the inside of that box. So now you're talking about cushioning and void fill. So you get into like the bubble systems and the, okay, the foam wow. systems and things like that. So we have a full packaging business that continues to grow. Um, it, it, it is challenging in and of its own self because uh, one of the jokes we have here is that when people lose their job in another industry, they're like, well, I can always open a packaging distribution company. <laughs> they seem to be popping up. They seem to pop up quite regularly. So really? That's funny. Thanks for letting me go on. I could just go. No, on. no, it's, oh, it's no, that's cool. what we're here for, man. It's all yeah. about y'all. Yeah. And I'm, you know? cause I'm curious, like, how do you, you were talking about the nails and the different kinds and all those things. Where do you learn that? You know, like where, where do you guys get that information from? Is it from customers that you've worked with that have told you what works and what doesn't, or is there information out there that you can just go and read about nails and, like you had mentioned the different kind of woods and the humidity and all of that stuff, you know, like, is that just fruit through years of experience that you've learned that, or is it through, I don't know, is there like nails one com? you know, like where, where would you find that? How did you learn that? Sure. Um, you know, that's a, that's a multifaceted answer. Like so many are, you, you can't discount the 28 years in an industry. You know? Oh Yeah. I started out as a 14 year old doing nothing but fixing CN seventies. And I think everybody in the world, in the pallet world knows a CN 70. That's, that's the most popular and probably the best gun out there. Yeah. And everybody's riffed off of it. You know, every, mm -hmm. every plant out there has riffed every nail manu or tool manufacturer has their version of that tool. Um, 
because it shoots that two by 099 or that two and a quarter by 099. It'll shoot it all day long and it shoots it with regularity and speed and consistent drive into multiple woods. But when you do something for 28 years, you're going to have just tribal knowledge. And mm -hmm. yes, there was internal tribal knowledge. One of the benefits of our company is that we've always had long-term employees. Um, so as I grew up in it, not only did I have my dad and my grandfather who were in the industry for a long, long time, but we had sales reps that literally had done nothing else. And we had 40-year-old, wow. 40-year and 50-year veteran sales reps. Wow. Oh, wow. And so that kind of tribal knowledge and experiential knowledge is tremendous. But then there's nothing like adding on top of it, managing relationships directly with the guys building the pallets. Um, you get to see it firsthand. You get to, you know, unload boxes of nails and hand tools across and, you know, get that, that shared dirt on your hands and in your mm -hmm. boots and, um, and see the, see the shops and, you know, see the challenges of when the compressor goes down and when, the climate controls off. And so now the lumber's all frozen um, or hmm. we had unexpected weather and it's just soaking wet, but we got to keep, we got to keep cutting and we got to keep nailing. Um, so you can't, you can't minimize any of that. And uh, the other side of it is the nail manufacturers are really good. There's a lot of good sourcing. Um, one of the, one of the benefits of technology, there are, there's tons of web uh, learning that's out there that can help you understand why do you run this point and why do you run this shank and uh, different things about wood grain. So when you put it all together, yeah, that becomes where you, you learn. Hmm. Those are years of experience and <laughs> having people stick around that have learned it, which is great. That's awesome that you have had people that stuck around for for a long time. And obviously you guys are doing something right. I know Teresa is, is awesome. She's great. Yeah, so, she <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's interesting. So I mean, obviously you can't discount the years of experience, like you said, no, but, no, um, is there like when you find a new nail supplier, do they, will they like sit down with you and kind of chat with you about that and say like, this is the benefit to, I mean, obviously, but is it more so how do you find those applications that you can ask about, you know, is it just through experience again that you're like, well, I remember this instance where a nail didn't work at this time. So how does yours benefit somebody in that situation? Yeah, I think, um, yes. I mean, to yes, to is the quick answer, but to a couple comments on that. First, there aren't a whole lot of nail, new nail manufacturers. Um, that's a very established, mature industry. In hmm. fact, I think we're seeing the reverse. We're seeing consolidation. We're seeing plants get rolled up. Um, I think there are less players, definitely domestically, there are less players. Mm -hmm. And then internationally you have, and I don't want to go too far down this road because I'm not an yeah. expert, but you've got things like the tariff and the anti-dumping and mm. you've got zones of the world that are getting hammered more than other zones of the world. And so, so plants move. Um, and, and I get all that. Those are all economic decisions and they, they all make sense, but mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I can't tell you in 28 years if I've ever had a conversation where it's like, Hey, you're a new nail manufacturer. Tell me what makes your nail better. Um, gotcha. <laughs> nails, nails and staples are pretty much established when it comes to like the technology that makes them work. Um, there's little, there's little nuances and updates to how they're made. You know, there is some new machinery out there, maybe a new header or a new collator. That's something that can improve the efficiency at the manufacturing level. But um, 
you know, the pull out tests and the shear tests and all of the, the, the science around that and carbon content, um, those are pretty established facts. So uh, that industry, our industry, and from that standpoint, it's sort of like lumber. It's not like there's new trees or new, right. um, <laughs> there might be new ways to cut the trees. There might be hybrids that are, you know, disease resistant, but I haven't heard of hybrids that mm. suddenly increase my yield so I can make a better pallet or right. increase the grain so that I can go with a thinner slat. You know, I can go with a, a, a thinner deck board and get greater, um, greater weight capacity. I haven't, you know, we're not seeing those kind of improvements in our space. We're just, we're pretty mature and established. That makes sense. It's also like, how much could you change if, you know, a simple piece of, of metal? That's <laughs> so over the years, I could see that. I, I, um, I'm curious to hear like with the, the interaction of the, the pallet businesses, because I know that you had mentioned like you guys deal with a lot of different kinds from different places. Some use technology, some do not use any sort of technology. So like, what are some things sure. that you've learned some cool stories of, of pallet owners <laughs> that you've, you've had over the years? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I know it's vague and it's pretty wide. So feel free <laughs> yeah, to I mean, just narrow go, it down if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> you can go in a lot of different directions with that. Yeah. Um, I'll say this too, and this is maybe like an overarching concept. And I think a lot of business owners and business leaders can relate to this. Um, you know, when you get to the point where you're running the whole, the whole thing, um, especially in our world where you're not producing something, it's really easy to get disconnected from the field. Um, so I will just candidly admit that I haven't been out in the field like some of my reps. You know, they're out there every day, probably talking to dozens of pallet shops every week, whereas I might see a half a dozen in a year just because of the difference in our, you know, just our different roles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a while since I've had like some of those anecdotal interactions, but. Fair. You know, you, you see a wide range. Um, you see some very rural or some very, um, like you were saying, sort of non-sophisticated from a technology standpoint places mm -hmm. where they put out an unbelievable volume and an incredible quality product. And you do, as, a, as someone who doesn't do that every day, we marvel at that. You know, they take established technology and, you know, metal and wood, and they turn it into these, you know, they turn it into these things that can hold amazing amounts of weight. They, they produce them in super fast quantities and super large quantities. Um, and in places where, you know, quite frankly, they're just, there's not a lot, there's not a lot going on from a, uh, if you want to take a, you know, they're just from a cultural standpoint, it's, they're in the middle of nowhere. But yeah. they're doing a vital thing for our economy. And so mm -hmm. they deserve to be recognized and and somewhat, you know, escalated in their in their awareness. Um, but then you get into some places and you you see the application of technology, whether that's just adoption of email and video conferencing. I mean, look at what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ability to video call a customer that's four or five hours from my office and to be able to have a meaningful interaction with their ownership. Um, that's a, that's a great thing, but that's a rare thing in the pallet world. So, um, that's, what's kind of cool about the pallet world too, is that at the end of the day, it takes you back to a time where everything wasn't as technology driven, where it wasn't so, wasn't so remote, where there is a face-to-face -face handshake kind of feel to the, to the world. And, um, that's a, 
that's a refreshing that's a refreshing thing and it's also a good reminder that at the end of the day business is about people um the mm -hmm. business we run is about people it's taking care of those that work for us but then it's also about taking those taking care of those that we work for um and so those are those become those become really good reminders i'm trying to think i'm trying to think as i'm talking <laughs> about like cool stories so i mean this isn't even necessarily about nails, but it wasn't a, at a pallet shop. I was, this goes back a long way. I was delivering steel strapping to a pallet shop um, that they were good on their nails. And so I, I, I was bringing out a couple skids of steel and steel is over a hundred pounds of coil, um, the way that the manufacturers package it. And I'm in the back of a Chevy van and I'm, I'm breaking the skid down and I'm, you know, struggling to hand out one coil at a time. And I wasn't really paying attention. I was, um, I was at an Amish facility and the guy behind me was reaching out. And I, I realized after about two or three trips of passing the coil out that it was the same hands that were grabbing the steel. They mean mm -hmm. big, hardworking, strong hands. And I look <laughs> out and there's this guy, the guy was holding three coils of steel in each hand. <laughs> it's the most, it's one of the most unbelievable <laughs> demonstrations of strength that I've ever seen. He had 312 pounds Jeez. in each hand, one in each hand. And then, and he was farmer carrying it. If you're, you know, from the fitness community, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. turned around and, you know, probably walked 50 yards with it. It was absolutely Jeez. amazing. Just an amazing wow. demonstration of strength, but that kind of strength that only comes from doing it every single day, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and so not anyway, thinking. That was, a, that was a really cool. That was just a really cool story. I tell that a number of to a number of our uh, employees when we talk about the different the different kind of people that we we serve. Um, but you know, I've been in I've been in some cool pallet shops where the ingenuity of you know we need to clinch this nail, um, and so the way that they can take a, an, a fully automated system and add steel plating so that when that nail comes through the wood and hits the plate, it clinches. Um, Hmm. The way that they welded it into the machine and it still performed with with speed and precision. Um, the understanding of pneumatics to me is is another one too. the The ability to understand keeping air power flowing through a system with enough volume that you can keep everything running uh, that's that's so complicated and is not just a science. There's an art to it too. Um, you know, feathering this valve and tightening that one and loosening that one. And uh, it's, it's impressive every single time. So I don't have any like specific stories, but those are things that, you know, collections of over the years that just really stand out. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember like you and Teresa had both mentioned that you guys work with a lot of uh, Amish, Amish companies as well. And so mm -hmm. like, I was always curious, like, how do you find them is it just a matter of like oh there there, there it is like while you're driving around you have an outside <laughs> sales rep that finds it and he's like let me just go there or like are they finding you somehow like i'm just curious how you could gain that person as a customer um sure with the lack of technology and and that on their end you know yeah i mean you do get contacted um but that's only after you establish yourself within that that community uh, gotcha okay for me it was yes like you said i look for sawdust you know that was always one of our <laughs> okay you know visual cues you look for the sawdust silo you look for the slightly glistening cloud in the sun because <laughs> gotcha. you know, no matter how tight the system is there's always some some blow by um mm -hmm. 
but then it was word of mouth. You know, you, you'll go into a region where you have an established uh, relationship and you ask who else is building in this area. And do you have any friends or family or anyone else? Um, you know, and it's after you've done a good job too. If you've proven yourself, it's real easy to say, Hey, we have a good relationship, right? You like how mm -hmm. I take care of you in this regard. Correct. And, and, and there's buy-in and then you're able to say, well, who else can I bring that same level of service to? Who else do you know that that we can help in that regard? So it does become it's a referral network, uh, unlike any other. Because once you're in and you do a good job, uh, you're in. That's cool. That's cool. That is very much word of mouth is like your strongest uh, oh, yeah. way of of marketing to those communities. I'm just curious, like how the initial one came across. You know, it's just—I guess, like you said, you were just looking for sawdust one day and you found sawdust. it. Yeah, you look for God, looking, so looking like, for the looking for the buggy hauling lumber down the road. Yeah, you gotta follow, you gotta follow it. Yep. <laughs> so that's funny. Oh man, I, I mean, you guys are—you're in Pittsburgh, you said too. So you're yeah. not too far from uh, the. The, the, the where what am I thinking of Lancaster right it's all out there or no so that's Lancaster between is us, like, I'm that's, a little sure. bit, that's a little further east but yeah that's that is a okay. strong Amish area um, north mm -hmm. of Pittsburgh there's a there's an area called New Wilmington um, okay which is a very strong Amish community and then you get out into Ohio Holmes County Ohio which is about two hours from us um, has some of the largest concentration of Amish in the country so we okay. um, we spend a lot of time, especially between New Wilmington and, and Ohio, but uh, yeah, Lancaster. And, you know, you learn too, the Amish communities, they're, they're strong in the Michigan area. They're in Minnesota. Um, hmm. They get down into Kentucky. I mean, there, there are Amish communities throughout this country in a lot of different areas and uh, they, they all know each other. So it's, it's something where you, you know, if you live and work and act with integrity, you know, that, that is, that is shared across multiple states. Well, yeah, we have we have Mennonites here where I live, and so it's you know, Amish Mennonites Mennonites use technology and all right. that good stuff. So, you know, I I interact with them all the time. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. Um, Teresa had mentioned that uh, the individual who makes the woodpecker uh pallet machine is like yep i think in ohio as well so it's just interesting when you hear about these things uh you just kind of think that it's like one group of individuals you know or like uh, we have the facebook group so it's like oh these are all the pallet people in the world you know but then you start to right. realize that not many people use the internet and things like that to connect with others so i just always yeah. like to learn more about people that are within the industry that don't necessarily know about the other options that are out there to get to connect with people like yeah, Facebook sure. and things like that and LinkedIn. Um, yeah. In interesting comment on the woodpecker. Um, when the woodpecker was starting to, to hit the market, uh, we were in contact with the, the founder and we knew them through different relationships. And that's all, all that engineering is hand-drawn. All those drawings are hand-drawn. Um, it's crazy. When I walked into there, their front room and met with the, the owner um, and the designer. It's just a flip book. And I'm talking like a professional architectural engineering book of that gotcha. entire system, every cross section, every system, every pneumatic system, every mechanical system, it's all hand drawn. 
and wow. it's all hand. It's the, the originals are all handmade. I think they still make them all by hand. Um, That's crazy. It's a, yeah, it's a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous product. But I've definitely seen people within the group as well be like, if you want a good product, like that's, that's the one. So it's, you know, I guess you got to do it by hand if you want it to be a good product. <laughs> it is interesting that I did that, that engineering from what I understand is starting to, there are some um, foreign imports that are mimicking that system. Hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over time. You know? Yeah. Do do they do they have the magic sauce to to start to create a maybe a cost point alternative or um, or you know is that handmade product going to maintain and um, I know where my money would go but it's just going to be yeah. to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I I am curious to to go back to um, like the supply chain aspect mm-hmm. of the conversation with with COVID like what what was that like for you guys you know like was it was it a good time because people were coming to you and you had the things that they needed or were you guys struggling too? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just curious because I know that I've seen a lot of people talk about like a lack of, of nail supply and, and inability, inability to have to find them at that time. So what was that like for you guys? How did you navigate that and continue to help yeah. your, your customers? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure, you know, we're going to all get, we're all going to get 10 years past, this period of time and look back and have, you know, just all the stories that are going to come flooding yeah. back, but trauma. Um, from supp- <laughs> yeah. From a supply chain standpoint, <laughs> we had a pretty interesting mix. We were able to, we were still sourcing a good chunk of our nails domestically. Uh, we were filling in our volume with, with overseas imports. Um, mm-hmm. And with the, the impact of government decisions, our domestic sourcing went to basically zero overnight. Um, and wow. that was a real challenge because then you also had the container challenges, the port challenges, other countries shutting down. And so to be able to shift that quickly to a, to an import product was a, was a real challenge for us. Um, and yeah, for a while it was like, look, if you can get it, we'll take it. We don't care what it costs. And that became something from our standpoint and from the, uh, the pallet shop standpoint, it was like, look, if I can get nails, I'll take nails. I don't care what it costs. I don't care when they get here, but I just need it. And so there was sort of this whole reaction to, to the shortage, the slowdown, everything like that. The, the real challenge right now, and it's affecting, I think it's affecting the whole industry. It's certainly affecting the distribution channel is that as supply chain started to improve the first thing that improved was shipping times mm. and containers that for 18 to two, to two, 18 months to two years were being projected out at like nine 10 month lead times started to suddenly land within more normal windows like 90 to 120 days and and that kind of pressure on the distribution channel you know we saw inventory levels just explode um and cash becomes tight for everybody because of that, because you're paying for that inventory. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you started to see a little bit of a slowdown at the end user. Um, you know, I think it's no, it's no surprise to people that we're starting to see some softening in the economy. Mm-hmm. And that's not like a negative. It's not really like a, a big, it's not like it's a big slide. It's really more like we're just taking our foot off the accelerator for two mm-hmm. and a half years. We were driving at 120 miles an hour 
Yeah. And now we're like, yeah, we should probably get back inside the speed limit. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just feels like we're not even moving, but we're still moving. You know, yeah. um, I think it's important for people to remember that as the world's largest economy, when we see a GDP growth that's in the high twos or low threes, that's an amazing thing for how big it already is. Um, you know, our, our economy, the U.S. economy is like the Titanic. And to get <laughs> incrementally bigger, to get incrementally faster when it's already got so much size and momentum it's a really hard thing because you now you're turning, you know, your denominator keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so I think what we're starting to see is we're just seeing, we're seeing the foot come off the accelerator. But when it, when that happens with ballooning inventory, with uh, shipping times, improving, speeding up, um, we've got a big glut of inventory that has to get through the system. Um mm. When we talk to a lot of our existing pallet shops, they're sitting on a ton of inventory. We're sitting yeah. on a ton of inventory. Um, yeah, yeah that's, peers... that's the problem we're starting to see now is, you know, everything through COVID, it was, oh, we don't have pallets. We can't get pallets. You know, everybody was struggling to get pallets. And now, you know, shoot, I'm sitting on 2,500 pallets, just yep. an overstock. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we're just, you know, they're, they're sitting there. And, oh, we got pallets coming in, so pallets come in, and those go just right out the door. And, you know, it, it's a good thing to have, but it's a bad problem to have at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. To... We, yeah. Yeah, you talk about, like, a new a specific within our world, um, like 2 by 99 high loads, which run through those woodpecker mm-hmm. machines. We might historically keep about, you know, the equivalent of one truckload on hand so that we can just keep it turning. Oh, I, okay. I probably have six truckloads here. Wow. You know, and so like that kind of, that kind of just continuing to push, um, it's going to, we're going to use it, uh, but it's, it's a challenge. And the other, the other challenge, and this is probably me falling into the trap of my own tendencies. I, I tend to share too much, but when you look at the cost <laughs> graph on that too, right. when you look at the cost graph on that, you know, during COVID, we might've been buying those, those two inch nails overseas for 80 bucks. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a point in time when those two inch high loads were like end user pricing in the thirties and here's the distributor buying wow. for 80 bucks and I got to put profit. Wow. On. And now all of a sudden the costs have completely flipped. And so mm-hmm. I could go and get new containers and I would be probably buying in the twenties the or thirties. And then, wow. And, and I, yet I've got six truckloads of inventory. That's four times that, I mean, those are some real challenges. Um, and so I know the nail guy gets a lot of, we get beat up a lot when we try to get into the pricing conversation and that's fine. That that's just part of business. Well, that's because pallet guys, you know, pallet guys, we don't like to spend money. We don't want to spend money on nails and stuff like that, but we have to money. You you want to spend money on lumber (laughs) and people, right? Isn't it lumber and people? Oh yeah, absolutely. Probably what pays the most. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I if you don't have so. lumber and you don't have anybody to nail them together, who who really cares? Um, so yeah. yeah, it's just right now it's a very interesting mix of challenges. Um, it's completely reversed from where we were during COVID, and 
but you know, the thing I say to our own team, I say it to our, our customers, I'm like, look, we're just going to, we're fighting the good fight. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter what the challenge it's going to be. It's going to look different this year than it looked last year than it looked the year before that. Our challenge right now is just finding a way to get that inventory moved through so that we're able to get it burned up at the end user level so that we can start right sizing that, that supply chain. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, I think that that's probably relatable to multiple people, you know, in multiple different industries. So yeah. you're, you're probably not alone in, in that, but it's interesting to hear it because you don't really think about it. You know, you just kind of right. think like either you're just the guy that gets it from somewhere and gives it right to them. Or like you said, you kind of hold just enough to get by or just enough to like supply people. But to hear that you guys try to, I guess, like prepare for what was happening and continue to stay prepared for it, to be able to help your customers. And now you're kind of dealing with the, the aftermath of that too. Like, I mean, that's what people are dealing with, with pallets too. It's the same thing. Right. Everybody was right. trying to buy as much as they could buy as much as they could. And now things are kind of leveling out and everybody's like, Whoa, why am I sitting on so many pallets right now? And it's <laughs> like, well, because things are going back to normal, you know, prices are going back down and things are kind of regulating again. So, I think it's just everybody's, we kind of rode this high of COVID for a bit and depending on the industry that you were in and now we're kind of coming back down to reality. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I guess completely agree with you. I, I'm Corey, I appreciate you saying what you said, you know, to hear it from the guy that's out there building and buying lumber and trying to put that a quality product back out and to hear that kind of volume, you know, that's just indicative of what's going on in the system. Um, Right. And I'm, I'm a very small pallet yard, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, I've got my buddy Travis, you know, they're sitting on, I think the last time we had talked, we talked the other day, I think he's sitting on like 20, 30,000 pallets yeah, between crazy. his five locations. So that's it's, I mean, pallets. it's crazy. Of course, the, the, the area that I live in, we have like 15 pallet yards that are like of, you know, you know, some are independently owned. Well, all of them are independently owned except for the 4840 location. But our pallet industry where I live is just insane. Sure. You know, I mean, it's, and we really only have one supplier that you can go to to get, you know, pallet nails and stuff like that. And so, you know, we have to, they kind of hold the market over our head mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But well, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy that, you know, and I tell people all the time, you got to know your industry, got to know what's going on around you. You know, like, yep. The city I live, well, I live in a little town, but the Lubbock as a whole is a manufacturing city. So a lot of things get built and shipped out, but I can go 200 miles to Midland, Odessa, and stuff comes in, but pallets don't leave. Sure. So, you know, we can go down there and pick pallets up all day long, and we have an excess amount, but it's this... Yeah, our our pallet industry here is just wild. Where I live, yeah. it's crazy. You know, we got 15, 15, I wouldn't say like 
big, big pallet yards, but major players in the industry. And uh, between those, we probably employ about 300 people. That's great. So, you know, everybody from that, the guys that go out and just pick up pallets to builders, to repair guys, to guys that are cutting lumber and just, it's, it's insane. Yeah. There, there was, um, this is kind of not related directly to what you were just saying, Corey. Um, but I remember you mentioning the trying to remember how to phrase it. We were talking about like the, the nails, right. And how you're saying it's more like consumption versus like new businesses popping up. Um, it made me think when he said like 4840, it kind of made me think of, of that side of the industry as well and how that's kind of happening too within the pallets. But mm-hmm. it kind of makes you appreciate the people who have actually started it, which I know that, you know, when you posted on LinkedIn, and I feel like you've talked about this a lot, is just like appreciation for the people, the businesses that you work with. I just think yep. that that's something within this industry that's very relevant, you know, is that like they're fact that they're able to be purchased and consumed by someone larger is because somebody took the time to build that business to work every single day to build it to the point where it was worthy of a large company purchasing it you know so for sure it, just a, a a thought you know of, of appreciation for the people appreciation for the hard work and to kind of take a step back and and to just remember like where things have come from I don't know, kind of, kind of un, unrelated and totally ADD moment, but I just felt like it was relevant to bring up because I just appreciate like the owners, like yourself and, and all the people that I get to work with through the pallet plug, you know, like that's the reason that I'm doing all of this is because like, I want to hear these stories. I want to hear the fact right. that like your grandfather started this business and why he started it and how it's grown. And, you know, the guy that started his pallet business, whether he sold it or, or is, you know, never planning on doing it and wants to keep it in his family. It's um, just something to appreciate through this industry. It's just getting to meet people and getting to learn. And how you were saying too, like the WNPCA, you went there and felt like an outsider. And then as you continue to, to talk to people, you're like, oh, okay, like, I, I can relate to these people. <laughs> like I yeah, am totally. in the same industry. So yeah, I, I think that, uh, the thought of hearing 4840 just kind of like triggered the consumption. But then again, the appreciation is really what it is, is the appreciation for the people who started the business in the first place to get it to that point. Yeah. Um, and then of course your nail conversation too, just made me think about it where it's like, yeah, like is a guy just like starting a huge, fa- like wh- how would you do that? You know, like you're going to build a huge factory, spend all this money to try and compete with, well, I mean, I don't know how many different nail companies are there. Yeah, Do you, is the, is... in the dozens when you take into, into yeah. account every individual plant that's out there for sure. Gotcha. Crazy. Yeah, but um, you know, it's interesting. So real quick, no, just real quick. I know we're I know we're getting tight on yeah. time, but I wanted to just make a quick comment okay. on what Corey was saying, just to kind of close the loop on that inventory discussion. Mm, we're okay. similar, Corey. You know, we're a in our region, we're a good sized player, but when you look at us on a national level, we're just a we're a small to medium sized player. And right. I feel for the guys, like there's a, there's a consolidator in our space on the, the nail distribution space that I want to say they're up to like, they have like a 900 branches or something across the U S and wow. And they are sitting on so much inventory. Um, you know, it makes my 
six truckloads of overstock feel like a drop in a bucket because that <laughs> that's replicated across every skew, every size, every option. And um, it's you indicative. Must be talking about fact. Southern Carlson. <laughs> I wasn't going to name drop anybody, but that might be them. Um, you know, they're, they're facing major, major challenges. I can't, I can't imagine their, their inventory discussions. You know, they're talking, oh, it's, we're talking it, about during, hundreds of containers. During COVID, it was crazy. It's crazy. So. Yeah. Well, and Corey, you know, we saw, Andrew, Corey, you said you've go only got one provider down in your, your neck of the woods. Well, we, we can ship to Texas. So, you know, we can, we can help. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah we're kind of Southern. Well, Southern Carlson, you know, they're good to us, but, you know, I've seen prices, you know, you go in and you'll buy a box of, you know, uh, inch and three quarters screw shank, you know, 0.086. And one day it's, you know, $65. And the next day it's 140. And you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. That, that, that takes you back. It's like, okay, you know, now, now do I get to buy two boxes or just one, you know? Right. right. For sure. And so, you know, and I have other avenues, you know, I can go to my buddies, uh, pallet yard and buy nails from him because they buy you know they buy nails by the truckload so got to pass that information yeah Yeah, for sure um but uh was was that kind of the no i just wanted to close a little like i i totally relate to the small fish feel Mm -hmm. um but the fact that if we just logically follow that through if the small folks are feeling that same pressure um, so are the medium, so is the large. And then when you roll that all into one picture, it's a really, it's a big challenge for the economy, but you know, we're going to grind through it. We're going to get this big, you know, bubble of inventory through. And I think everybody will be better once we're through it. Now, do y'all have a storefront? Somebody can just like walk into off the street and buy yeah. stuff from or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have a storefront. It's not our focus. Um, we probably do less than mm-hmm. 5% of our business through our storefront. Oh, wow. We okay. spend wow. most of our time in the field. I've got field reps that are out in customers' facilities. Um, and then we have an inside sales team as well that's engaging through email and phone and social media, uh, as well as running the store. So we, we were able to to meet the customer kind of wherever they want to be. Nice. Yeah, because I remember when I had asked you, as far as like your area of coverage, you guys said that you'll you'll work with anybody anywhere or try to make it work. Yeah. So. Yeah. For anybody listening, yeah. they might be in Pittsburgh, but if you're in California, you know, reach out and see see reach if out. it works. Yeah, um, and we've you know we're we're but, working on strengthening our web presence as well. I think, awesome. you know, there's a lot of competition there, and and if we all try to look like Amazon, Amazon wins. So we have to find a way to <laughs> right. We have to way to to play in that space, but not look like the big boys. And so we're spending a lot of dollars and yeah. a lot of time on trying to make a web, uh, an e-commerce experience that matters to our customers. It can't just look like everybody else. It's gotta be something that delivers value to where they are. So to your point, Kyle, we, you know, anybody around the U S anybody can, can jump on our website and, you know, give me feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you can't find it on the website, give them a call guys. I'm sure they have it or can get it. Agreed. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And real quick, I think just the, uh, the inventory too. I'm curious your perspective. Like, do you think that this is an opportunity for smaller guys to work with larger guys and medium sized guys? Because my perspective is like, 
if you continue to, if you try and work together, there's going to be ways to make it work for everybody. Or do mm -hmm. you think it's kind of like you have to stay so heavily focused on your own thing to, to try and get out of it? You know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it makes sense for you to try and work with a larger business or is it like, let's just stay focused on what we're doing. They're dealing with it too. So how do we combat it? No, I think <clears throat> I'm all about, maybe this is just more personal style. Um, I'm all about partnership and relationship. And that's why we're, <laughs> I think that, and it's why we're talking, but it's also why yeah. I think there's opportunity. You know, um, I was talking to prime source the other day, you know, so they're a, they're a big supplier in the space. They import a ton of product, but they had a customer that was looking for a really unique sized pallet nail that they can, mm -hmm. they couldn't get in a fast manner. And so he reached out to me because he's like, Hey, Andrew, I know you're really nice. kind of, you're a specialist in this space. Do you have a size that would work for this? And, um, you know, we were able to, to give them an option. They didn't end up, they weren't able to end up using us, but mm -hmm. that kind of, an, that's an example to where partnership can work. So, you know, whether that's a Southern Carlson that has an inventory hole uh, and can reach out to a local smaller, smaller guy like us, or whether that's us reaching out to them and saying, hey, look, I know you're in the same boat. You've probably got a ton of inventory. Um, I have an opportunity with this kind of a size. And then that trickles down to the end user. You know, that could be a pallet guy looking for, hey, I've always wanted to build this kind of pallet, but I don't stock that fastener. I've always wanted to get into this space. Um, you know, it's an opportunity now to kind of take a step back and look for some maybe underserved areas of the market uh, to be able to kind of get through this rough patch. And then if we do that and work together, we'll be stronger on coming out the other end. Agreed. Uh, thank you. I think that's that's a great perspective to have and aligns with kind of my mentality as well as, you know, the better that the more people that you can surround yourself with and build out your network and whether it's you're doing the same thing or you're within the same industry, like if you just continue to try and help others, it will in return also help you. So I'm I'm glad that we share that perspective. And again, that's a result in, in our partnership as well. And um, so, yeah, I want to use the last couple minutes, uh, as an opportunity for you, you know, you want to give us a, a sales pitch or, uh, you know, Hey, if you're listening, you know, what, what to, to finalize the, uh, the podcast for potential customer consumer of your product, uh, and, and who might contact you, what's, what do you got to say to the audience? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I would say thank you to you, Kyle, just, I mean, and, and of, Corey, you guys have given me an opportunity to just kind of wax eloquent or lack of eloquency if 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 so uh, <laughs> if so heard um you know i've got to i try to think about what makes what makes sense and what can make a difference in our our um, economy in our sector of the industry but <clears throat> from a sales pitch standpoint i'll go back to something i said earlier we want to be that partner that brings about results to our customers business that leave them in a better place than when they started so that is a very broad statement, but it's the kind of value that we want to drive every decision, every interaction, every product we bring in, every product we showcase to our to our customer. Um, it's how we want to build vendor relationships. So we only partner with companies that bring that same value to the market. Um, so if that manufacturer can't give us that kind of support to be able to, to fulfill that value proposition to our customer, we don't want to work with them. So... If I'm talking to a customer, 
we want to be that partner and we can be that partner that's going to bring about a better result because of our ability to navigate the supply chain, the choppy waters of the economy on your behalf. Our job is to be that buffer for your business, that solution for your business, so that when you call Hartman, you can get anything that you need and you can also get it fixed <laughs> and you can get that peace of mind of knowing, look, I don't have to go call 12 different people to do all this stuff. I know if I call them, they're going to take care of it. Um, and so that would be my message. You know, it's not about product and features. It's not about this drill does this and this nail gun does this. And, oh, you might want to try this thing. That happens just in the course of business. What matters is, is this relationship bringing a better result to your business? And if it is, let's, let's build on that. Great. I, I love that. I think it's awesome. And I, I hope that it resonates with people because I think Me too. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, and, and you know, it, it's trust, it's honesty, it's transparency, yes. you know, and that's yes. what I always try and preach about. Um, I've always, I saw it somewhere and I don't remember where, but I keep repeating it. It's uh, you don't have to remember the truth, you know? That's right. And, and so I, I, I love that. And I'm, it's, very, it's been great to be able to talk with you and hear the yes, stories and, get some education as well, as far as how, how nails came up or how your business came about and the importance of nails within this industry. Um, so, so thank you, uh, to anybody listening, reach out to Harmon. If you guys need nails, nail guns, let them know the power plug sent you. That's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, that concludes this episode. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Andrew, thanks for being here. Really appreciate you coming on today. You're welcome. And thank you. Appreciate the knowledge and the, you know, and what y'all bring to the industry. Thanks, Corey. Thank you, Andrew. All right.